that. And don't talk about yourself. Don't be like a bad first date, constantly on and on about yourself, right? <laughs> and, and, and use that and, and try and change Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing, the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of Rockstar CMO, your monthly hit of Marketing Street Knowledge, where we share straight-talking marketing advice from our community of writers and CMOs. And this weekly podcast is my excuse to chat to that band. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com and at Rockstar CMO on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This episode is recorded on Friday the 18th of December. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've had a good week and that you are well, keeping safe, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. If it's your tradition, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. I hope you're ready for a wonderful week. On the set list this week, Christine Bailey, CMO of Valata, again joins me for a final dip into the pages of her book, Customer Insight Strategies. I chat to Piet Sangerman, who has just started his own agency, the wonderfully named Yamazoni. And I again round off the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Right, let's get started, shall we? If you're a regular listener, you will know that for the last couple of weeks, we've been running a short series diving into Christine Bailey's first book. Christine is the CMO of Valata and is a regular contributor to our Rockstar CMO community, sharing her wonderful B2B marketing experience gained at big brands like Hewlett Packard and Cisco Systems, and is an award-winning marketing professional who was once voted number one woman in tech by B2B marketing. And she has a doctorate, DBA, in customer insights from the Cranfield School of Management here in the UK. Christine recently added author to her list of achievements and her book, Customer Insight Strategies, How to Understand Your Audience and Create Remarkable Marketing, was published last month by Kogan Page. This is the last of our four-part series. So far, we've covered what inspired the book, how to apply insights to marketing planning, applying insights to driving customer acquisition and retention. And in this conversation, we focus on the last chapters of the book, how to put this into action. Welcome back, Christine. So uh, we're in part four of our four-part series of looking at your book, Customer Insight Strategies, that I have here on my desk. Um, and we've covered the intro. We talked about what the book was about. And so hopefully people will go back and listen to that. We talked about insights in the planning of what we're going to do. We've talked about customer acquisition and we've talked about um, the customer journey and how insights goes across all of that. And uh, now we get to the final part where the rubber's hitting the road, right? We, we're yeah. in the final part of your book where you're talking about how we make it happen. So in the final chapters, the first thing you talk about, and this comes up a lot on this um, in this podcast, is about the technology and the implications of taking this approach for, for tech practitioners. So um, from a technology perspective, we cover that a lot here. So what's the key takeaway of your experience of working with with technology when it comes to customer insights? God, I hope you're not going to limit me to one. I was, I'm impressed that I got to chapter 10 before I talked about technology and I thought I cannot have a book on insights without talking about technology. Um, I mean, you know, we were already in a 
a world that was going through digital transformation and that's just been massively accelerated through COVID. Uh, you know, the, the world has gone digital and of course part of that is that we are collecting more and more data. There's um, uh, Scott Brinker has his famous uh, MarTech super graphic and you know, this year it's got 8,000 MarTech solutions and no surprise to me whatsoever, data is the fastest growing category uh, from right. last year. So 25.5% growth on in the data category. Yeah. And equally, no surprise that 83% uh, of marketers say they feel, feel data blind. They're absolutely overwhelmed by the amount of technolo technology and data that we have. But there's, you know, that's no excuse. We have to, every marketer has to be become more data competent. It's not something we can just leave to the to the data scientists. You know, it literally permeates every aspect of, of a marketing role. Um, but it's, it, you know, we shouldn't despair. It's become a lot easier. These tools, these analytics tools have become much easier for everybody to use and, and have that analysis at a click of a button. And um, in, in the book, uh, when we go about, you know, selecting the technology, because, of course, there's a lot of technology that's that's free now. Um, you don't necessarily have to pay for it. Um, so Carlos Doughty from the MarTech Alliance talks about um, the four P's, you know, plan, people, platforms and process. And he has like yeah. a five step approach to how you should be select selecting your technologies. Uh, so yeah. that, that that's quite a good um good thing and you know as yeah. i said there's like a an increasing appetite for paid analytics even though you know you can still get a lot of stuff from from the free providers and yeah. um i guess the key thing around technology is that artificial intelligence and machine learning take a lot of the guesswork out of marketing and you know we're going to increasingly rely on uh, you know the ai and machine learning having said that to start with, go back to the basics. Very few companies have got this, you know, nirvana of the 360 degree view of customers. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we, we still don't own everything in the customer journey. You know, you've got mm -hmm. service support online, offline. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that that's still probably the, the toughest challenge is to get the single Absolutely. view of the customer before you can start getting uh, getting more sophisticated to that. But uh, than that, but I would always say. You know, always consider the problem you're trying to solve before you decide on the technology. It's very easy oh, to get sucked sure. into the hype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that really is a top tip because I think at the moment um, uh, there are a lot of marketers that aren't getting the basics right and yet they layer mm. on top of it increasingly more sophisticated marketing technology that they're not using, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, I think because they like the shiny balls. I think it's really interesting. And, of course, um, Carlos, I enjoy his work at the, the MarTech Alliance. I should get him on the show, actually. I think mm. he's contributed to Rockstar CMO before, but really interesting guy. Um, so, um, finally, uh, you, the, I, I like this. We've just gone from tech, but you sort of closed the book out talking about humanizing marketing and the importance of being ethical, uh, which, are, you know, I think go hand in hand. You know, a lot of um, the way trust is built in brands, isn't it, is about the things we stand for, not this sort of rubbish purpose washing rubbish but you know genuinely you know what an organization stands for and exposing the human side certainly that's what i try and do in content marketing so tell us a bit about that about your view there about humanizing marketing yeah well you know humans are unpredictable creatures um you know <laughs> i think i said in a previous podcast you know what they say 
what we say is uh, one thing, but uh, you know what we do is another. So yeah. you know this is where insight is invaluable to us because it tells us about behaviour and helps us understand why humans act in the way that they do. So we need to find ways of making more emotional connections with customers. And you know I, I, I love the quote from um, Rory Sutherland, who's the vice chairman of Ogilvy. And he's written a book uh, called The Surprising Power of Ideas That Don't Make Sense. And he says, you know, for a, for a business to be truly customer focused, it needs to ignore what people say. And you're like, uh? And then he says, instead, it needs to concentrate on what people feel. And, you know, that's been said several times that, you know, Marla and Anne said it's not, you know, what people, people say or do, it's how they make you feel. So how can we use insights to really sort of get to remember that there's a human, you know, at the end of the data. Uh, yes, you know, we're talking about human beings. And basically the, the gateway is the, sorry, the data is the gateway to helping understand what, what, you know, what makes our customers tick. And, you know, we talked earlier quite a lot about, you know, an important part of humanizing your marketing is to really dig deep to understand the why, you know, and if, and if you understand your own why, that will help you understand the why behind your customer choices. And then, you know, you obviously make sure they're both in alignment. But yeah, yeah. Ne never forget the human being at the other side of the data. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? In this particular segment of the book that we're looking at, we've gone from tech, which is often misused and dehumanizes. And we just get them, you know, we, that you, we're a victim of the marketing machine, aren't we? And all the emails and stuff that yeah. we receive. And, and people are forgetting that, a MQL or a lead or a contact is a person, right? So, yeah. and and, and that they're they're the same as you. Would you like to receive this email? It's often a a, a, a thing I've asked people when we've looked yeah. at campaigns, you know. <laughs> so, I think humanising is good. And what about the, the ethical nature? How 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 do we how do we express that when you're talking about customer insight? Yeah, I love what Edwina Dunn says when she says. Um, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should, <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, we can all think of that when we're thinking about the ethics of collecting yes. data. Um, yeah. And, you know, she she said, picks up on a couple of key issues that we talk about in the book is the first one is it's really important to own the data and the companies that own the data would be the ones that win and using, yeah. you know, using those to understand your customers. But most importantly, you've got to use that data in an ethical way because yeah. using it in an unethical way, you know, the trust washing, the woke washing, you know, is yeah. just going to turn people off. So you, you, yeah. you have to be ethical um, to, to win in this world. Yeah, well, it's an, I think it's a nice thought to finish our, off our little mini-series on. I've really enjoyed chatting to you as usual, Christine. So thank, thank you, you very much for me. that. Yeah, no, you're very welcome. And so Christine has written Customer Insight Strategies, How to Understand Your Audience and Create Remarkable Marketing. It's available on many good bookshops, including the big one, Amazon, and is uh, published by Kogan Page. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. Excellent. Well, I'll include a link to it in the show notes, as I have every week. Um, and it's a shame to leave our series, Christine, but thank you very much, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Ian. Bye-bye. Cheers, Christine. Bye-bye. Thanks, Christine. As I mentioned, sadly, that was the last part of our series, and I'm not sure I've done her book justice with my questions. It covers a lot of ground, has quotes from almost 40 interviews, some fascinating real-world examples from Christine's career, and is definitely 
more practical than theory. As a reminder, it's called Customer Insight Strategies, How to Understand Your Audience and Create Remarkable Marketing. It was published last month by Kogan Page. And I will, of course, include links to Christine, her book, Twitter and LinkedIn in the show notes. Right, on to the interview. Pete Sagerman is a strategic messaging consultant. He helps founders, CEOs, and sales and marketing leaders build better strategic messaging with scientific insights. Pete works in his native Belgium, the UK, and the US, and is a regular speaker at marketing technology conferences worldwide, presumably now on Zoom. An incorrigible enthusiast, and as you'll hear, Pete is passionate about marketing technology and neuroscience. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM, Pierre. How are you? Very good. Thank you, Ian. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Um, I've known you a few years as the content marketing guru, I guess, or leader at Chili Publish. Um, and I know you're quite modest about your work there. But you've recently decided to focus on doing your own thing, Yamazoni. Tell us about that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm now a marketing consultant, not unlike yourself, um, mm-hmm. helping mainly uh, founders, CEOs and sales and marketing leaders for startups and scale ups in the B2B SaaS sphere uh, mm-hmm. to build their initial messaging and marketing. Hey, cool. That's cool. And then I have to ask about the name Yamazoni. What inspired that? I'm glad you asked. It's a, it's actually a Flemish expression and people mutter it under their breath. They say Yamazoni <laughs> and it, it, it loosely translated, it would mean you can't just do it like that, uh, which ah. is of course all I do. <laughs> right. I like that. And is that the, is that the, is that the spelling? Is that how we would say that? Oh, no, that's, that's probably Japanicized a bit. Um, it, it's actually <laughs> yeah. four, it would be four words. Um, right, yeah. right. And should we all start saying that? Do you think muttering under our breath when we're traveling? <laughs> a lot of, a lot of my customers are actually starting to use it as a, as a thing. When they disagree <laughs> with somebody, they go, Yamazoni, you know, Yamazoni. even the people it. that don't I... speak Flemish. <laughs> I love that. And um, so we'll look into your background. I always ask um, the interviewers about their background, how they got into marketing. And, and your background actually is quite interesting because you were in business development and you worked for Apple and Kodak, which are two really interesting companies on different sides of the, I don't know, um, the, the innovation and, and the, the path that they've both gone on. And tell us about that journey and how you found yourself in marketing. Oh, that was, I, I basically got into marketing by accident. Um, <laughs> so many of my interviewees have. I, yeah, it, it was just a logical next step. I mean, it's, my background I, in the way the, the beginning um, way back was technical. I was I was in a technical role. I was a technical trainer for for Creo, who got acquired by Kodak uh, in the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, from then on, I was I was doing some night classes and and you know, graduated, wanted to do something else, and they got me into a sales role. Um, or mm-hmm. a distribution management role. Uh, did that for a while, then went into pre-sales, um, worked with some really, really, really interesting and really gifted salespeople that I learned a lot from. You, you learn so much by just sitting at the table pretending oh, to yeah. be technically inclined, but you, you, you see these guys at work and it's just awesome. Um, oh, yeah. And then Apple came knocking and said, yeah, we need somebody to, to uh, run business development for the pro markets, so pro audio, pro video, pro photo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that uh, for a while and then had a whole midlife crisis, took a year off, um, <laughs> did the whole, got an old timer uh, car, you know, so, um, 
and um, took a year that to... That could not have been your midlife, mate. <laughs> that was fairly early for a midlife crisis. Maybe I'll have another one. <laughs> um, I took a year off and traveled and, and got mm-hmm. back in, and I bumped into the guys at Chili Publish um, uh, at a trade show in London. I was living there mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, and mm-hmm. they got me into a business development role for Doc uh, for uh, for the solution. I think I was employee number five or six. Um, yeah, it was way in the beginning. And from there, I went to Showpad. And Showpad is mm-hmm. a sales enablement solution. I did product marketing there, and that was my first taste of true marketing. And I liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked the I liked the the type of work I was doing there. Mm-hmm. So when I then went back to Chili Publisher after a while, um, they said, "Well, you're, you're now in the marketing team." <laughs> I was going to ask you what inspired you to get into marketing, but like so many of us, you sort of stumbled your way in there. I also like the I like the pre the tech and the pre sales background because many many B two B marketers that I talk to come from that background. Same with myself, and I totally empathise with with you as a pre sales guy sitting at the table with these sales guys and just like you know, I know you're there to answer the hard questions, but you're often seeing. I mean, really good sales guys have a have a craft, don't they? They're, yeah. they're, they're, I mean, it's it's often underrated, isn't it? How you know what it takes to become a salesperson. Um, and so, what do you see now that you've sort of been on both sides? What do you see as the relationship between business development and marketing? I think the the, the difference is getting thinner. They're get, they're getting mm-hmm. closer to each other. Um, it's a more unified approach. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I think it came along with the whole movement for sales enablement, where marketing took on a very big responsibility to start driving the discussion that salespeople were having. Whereas before, back when I was doing business development the first time, we did whatever we liked. You know, if the mm-hmm. numbers if the numbers were there, we could create our own content, you yeah. know, build our own stories. We do whatever we liked. Yeah. Um, that's that's no longer on these days. So you mm-hmm. get a lot more support from marketing, and marketing has gotten closer to sales. Also, with the whole inbound methodology, where um, a lead comes in, becomes a marketing qualified lead, becomes a sales qualified yeah. lead, and can be pushed back by sales. Um, yeah. That was new, so I think it meshes together a bit closer than it used to. Yeah, yeah, it's it's in each each other's interest to to bond that relationship, and on that, you know, this year we've had to face the pandemic. There's a lot of talk about virtual selling anyway, and that the pandemic has really accelerated that. Do you think that's tightened that relationship now that we we realise how much of the sale actually happens before a a, a sales guy meets anybody in B two B? Absolutely, I think what's happening now is uh, th- these are numbers that I I know from my Showpad days. Like seventy percent mm-hmm. of the customer journey is complete before. Right. People pick up the phone or people agree yeah. to a meeting. So you have a lot of groundwork to do before you even start the conversation. Uh, and I yeah. think that's going to that's gonna go more in that direction because face-to-face calls, let's face it, for the foreseeable future are yeah. off the table. And it's yeah, all going yeah. to be either a virtual meeting or, or it's going to be uh, remote. Yeah, yeah. And have, um, have you seen, um, you know, and is that something to do with your move from business development to focus on content? Is that is that what, what's driven you to focus on content from a marketing perspective? No, I basically, I thought there was not enough good content and I wanted to. Make- <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I wanted to be part of the solution and not part of the problem um, <laughs> and and i've um i'm actually working with some some clients on this sort of thing as well and that um the the when the rubber hits the road at the business development end that's often the part that marketing forget don't they when they're creating content they think about top of funnel they think about um the website they think about thought leadership but often what is it that's in the hands of the bd guys yep 
is often often forgotten. Yeah. I, I wrote about it because I, I was calling this the sales gap in that we sort of <laughs> we don't have that in our content plans. Is that where you focus? Yeah, sales gap is real because and it's it's a natural thing. Marketing is measured with specific metrics these days, mm-hmm. and these metrics are all about you know traffic and conversion, but nothing yeah. after that. So the the entire yeah. customer journey they're not really measured on anything after that. Um, right. That becomes the sales the salespeople's responsibility, and between the yeah. two, there's this gray area where I yeah. think content can make a really, really big difference. Yeah, yeah, I love that, and I, I mean, and and the poor BD guys are just kind of looking in shared drives, figuring out whatever it is they can send to a client, and and it needs to be more coordinated. Um, I also noticed that um, in your BD roles, and I think you alluded to it just a moment ago with what you did when you joined Chili Publish. You've um, opened up new markets, and I think that's a that's a challenge for sales and marketing in many organisations. It's not just new geographic markets, but many organisations are trying to move into different audiences or bringing out new products. What's your advice and approach when it comes to new markets? Well, I mean, I've I've done uh, two episodes, I think, in that field. One was opening mm-hmm. up a market in in the German uh, speaking area, um, yeah. and that was the main challenge. There was language. But that's yeah, that's yeah. that's fixable, right? You can fix that. Yeah. The the second one was when Chili Publisher became less of a web to print solution and more of a brand management solution. Mm-hmm. Your your whole narrative had to change. You're talking mm-hmm. to completely different people. Where a mm-hmm. printer, for example, would be more focused on survival and, and yeah. potentially growth. Um, yeah. A brand uh, manager would be focused on brand governance. Would be mm-hmm. you know on how do I operationalize my brand? How do I make it more available to people? How do I stop? Yeah. So the 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 narrative drives a lot of the development of a market, I think. Right. And, and if you spend enough time doing that and working on that strategic narrative and working on that messaging, you'll have yeah. a lot more success in those markets. Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, again, it's about storytelling and content by the sounds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and getting that and getting that nailed. Um, and then um, if we sort of come up up to date really of what you're doing right now and as we've talked about you've turned your focus to content strategy and messaging um and you talk about and i've I've watched some of your your talks on youtube you talk about science-based strategic messaging tell us about that yeah again i mean i had to scratch my own edge a bit um i I looked around (laughs) and, and said if you look at certain things that we do on communication um graphic design has certain rules that make a design work and, and mm-hmm. talking about you know contrast and white space and color, and if you yeah. if you use those things consistently, that becomes a brand identity. Um, yeah. Language has grammar, specific rules on how to communicate from from yeah. from sender to receiver, and yeah. I wanted something like that for ideas and concepts, and I couldn't find it. There's there was some there were some books on on the stuff like the Thinking Fast and Slow by Kahneman or Influenced yeah. by Cialdini, but it was very basic. It had like twelve principles, and that was it. Um, mm-hmm. And I I knew from sales roles that there was a lot of material out there about influence and persuasion. Right. So I started thinking maybe I could apply this to the customer journey. Yeah. It turns out you can. There's hundreds of insights and techniques and tactics that yeah. come from various uh, scientific fields, uh, cognitive science, mm-hmm. neuroscience, behavioral economics, and you can use yeah. them all along the customer journey. Yeah. 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 And so how, where do you start with something like that? If you're working with a new client? Um, well, um, first, I, I, there's an awareness that needs to happen. Like they need to understand that a, a buyer on the buyer journey, there are sp- certain predictable states that people find themselves in, ranging mm-hmm. from blissfully unaware to ready to buy. That's mm-hmm. like the first aha moment. Mm-hmm. And then 
we go into um, the creation of a bespoke messaging framework. And you can mm-hmm. see that like a menu. It's basically everything you say about yourself as a company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we organize it through um, steps in the customer journey for maximum effect. Mm-hmm. And the method I'm using, I call it the five intents uh, model, mm-hmm. uh, is built on five clear communication intents. Um, mm-hmm. The first one being you know, fascinate. You want to fascinate. So we live in an attention economy. You have to earn the yeah. brain cycles. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to be relevant and remarkable and memorable. Yeah. So the second intent is educate. And yeah. this is where you explain what you do in ways that are easy to process and likely to be remembered. And there's mm-hmm. tricks to that. The third one is differentiate. Show how you are different better. Uh, specifically mm-hmm. important when there's other vendors at the table. Mm-hmm. But also comparing yourself to the status quo. What's the cost of doing nothing, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The fourth intent, and now you're going further down the customer journey is validate. Mm -hmm. This is where you establish trust. You prove what you say. You show your customer testimonials. You do ROI calculations, all the things that make customers feel more confident. Yeah. And finally, you know, motivate. That's where the ink hits the paper. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You create urgency. And, and yeah. you ask yourself, you know, why now? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, engineer good, better, best pricing. You use decoy yeah. pricing. You make sure part of the offer expires. So all of these mm-hmm. things that, that trigger very primal fears and desires that humans have, mm-hmm. really. Um, mm-hmm. And at the end of that, the deliverable is a, a framework that can be used by anybody in the company, mainly marketing, but also sales, mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to know when to say what to a customer right. in a specific phase in the customer journey. Right, right. So, as, so what you're saying there, this is this is a narrative for the whole company. Just drive that all the way from top of funnel with marketing all the way through to what the BD people are going to say if they lift up the phone or they they're on a Zoom call or whatever. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Th- the thing is, once the, so the four last uh, intents: mm-hmm. the educate, mm-hmm. differentiate, validate, and motivate. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty static. They evolve mm-hmm. as the company evolves and as the product and yeah. the offering evolves. But the yeah. first one, the fascinating one, that's where the action is because that's your yeah. top of funnel. That's where you need a yeah. lot of different things to to attract more people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I love that model. And um, and and the the other thing is, is that do you do you find that people are going through that process linear, or is or do 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 you see prospects hopping in and out of of that, or, or your sorry, your clients' prospects hip, hip, um, popping in and out of those different different phases? It's definitely not linear. Um, yeah. I wish it were. I, I think <laughs> I think it would make my life a lot easier. Yeah. But um, I, I always say two things. Like one, the the customer journey is a nonlinear thing because people will go back to certain states if you, you mm. if you expose them to new information, they will have mm. to go through a number of steps again to to feel confident. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second reason why it's nonlinear is that if you're in a B two B context and you're a mm-hmm. salesperson or you're a company trying to sell something, mm-hmm. part of this of the buying team you're never going to meet. Right? Yeah. So you yeah. need to have your internal champion enabled to go in and mm-hmm. make the internal case for your solution. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. like another cycle that you're going through. Yeah, yeah. And I also like to say that there's there's no hard lines between intents. Don't yeah. don't if if your customer gives you a hint that they're ready for a specific piece of information, don't wait until you're ready in that yeah. phase of the customer journey. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. kind of flows up and like one of the differentiation differentiation factors, for example, if you want to differentiate your company. You can yeah. do so in a way that builds confidence. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of them. I mean, we see that. I mean, you see that in your own inbox, don't you? The way that people just assume that the that the nurture program is happening in a certain way, and that and that you know. It, and I've seen. I've actually had 
people on my teams try and create these campaigns where they're making assumptions where somebody is in the journey at some point yeah. and they talk to them like that and you can't you just can't do that because people move around yeah this is this is really fascinating and um, and as usual and we've had a number of conversations uh we could do this for for quite some time this afternoon uh probably into the evening with a, with an adult beverage if we were allowed to but um i have one final question we have a regular feature on rockstar cmo called the swim pool inspired by rockstars over the years have thrown things into swim pools it's our portal to hell for all the bullshit and snake oil that seems to plague this industry we love what would you throw into the rockstar cmo swim pool um so one of the things i get a lot with customers is <laughs> um they've read a book Right. They've read <laughs> Simon Sinek's Start With Why. And they go, oh, we need to start with why. And I always cringe a little bit. Right. And I say, well, instead of starting with why, which is yeah. going to trigger one thing, it's going to trigger a company talking about itself again. Right. We yeah, believe yeah. in challenging the status quo, la, yeah, la, la, the whole yeah, story. Yeah. Um, start with why should they care? Yeah. And don't talk about yourself. Don't be like a bad first date constantly on and on about yourself. <laughs> right. And, and, and use that and, and try and, change the standpoint to where the first point of contact is no longer about what you offer. You're not allowed, like one of the things I say to my customers is you're not allowed to talk about yourself in the fascination stage. You just, right. it's all about yeah, yeah. the people. Yeah, in your yeah, audience. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's probably quite a good idea if they don't talk about themselves for a number of the stages, <laughs> particularly on the front page of the website. So what am I chucking in then? Am I chucking in clients that read books or am I chucking in books? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know that, I mean, we're only recording the audio, so you can't see that behind me, there is actually the book that you've just referred to, a number of, a number of these books. So that's an excellent suggestion. I love that. I think actually um, the, the real thing to chuck in Slimpool there is that self-reflection all the time, isn't there? And that focus on yourself and all that stuff. So that's brilliant. Yeah. Thank you very much, Pete. Um, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. No, you're very welcome. And of course, we're we're going to be, this is the episode just before the holidays. I'm recording this on, on Friday before the holidays. So happy holidays or happy Christmas, whatever is your celebration. And I'll speak to you very soon. Right, thanks day. a lot. Let's talk soon. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Pete. A super chap. Very much enjoy my conversation with him, and I'll include his links in the show notes, plus some videos of him speaking on this topic of science in marketing. It's a fascinating topic. Right, it's Friday evening here at our London penthouse. Time to wind down for the weekend, and as we are in lockdown, what better way than to join my friend and content marketing mentor, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It's it's uh, great to see you here. I guess the week before wonderful Christmas. It um, is, yeah, we are we are we are sitting here and mm-hmm. the the depth of I guess it's it's uh, let's see as today falls, it's very close to the solstice, if not very, and we're 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 right there. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it's a very simple drink tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as we look out the, the window and hopefully <laughs> see some snow on the ground and mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. I'm drinking tonight a glass of wine, um, oh, and nice. but it's a very special wine. It's mm-hmm. um, it's a very expensive wine. Um, it's <laughs> Tis the season. <laughs> yeah, it's the season. Exactly right. Uh, it's a 2014 uh, Stag's Leap Petite Syrah, oh. um, which is a California wine. Uh-huh. Um, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's an amazing, amazing, very big. Uh-huh. Uh, red wine and it's just lovely yes i've had the good fortune to try i don't know whether it was that year but i've certainly had the stag's leap uh syrah um i was fortunate to work for somebody who was french in the u.s and would seek out the good stuff when we were having uh you know the celebratory drinks and uh, that that that's they make uh, a number of reds that are just amazing and this petite syrah is one of them yeah nice very nice and i do love a big red and one of these days robert we need to crack open a bottle of, of something big and red so um, let me uh, I'll cast my eye again over my desktop bar and see what I have um, you're drinking wine again and I'm going to um, ask you whether you've put ice in it <laughs> which you clearly haven't but uh, my, 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 my replication of whatever you're drinking starts with ice now um, I don't have any red wine but I do have Hendrix gin. So that's how I can't make any kind of um, connection there. Can I apart from that? Uh, that boat? It, it, it's not really. I mean, I mean, I heard the ice there. I mean, you just, so it's. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, so I'll stick some gin in just to sort of hide the fact that I'm not as classy as you are. Uh, and then, <laughs> um, and then I, I, you know, I, drinking neat gin while you're drinking that fine glass of wine would be wrong. So what have I got here? I've got some, I've got some tonic, some, some, uh, some fever tree cucumber tonic. See, I'm, I'm getting classy. I've got some cucumber tonic. It's getting a little bit. Better. Yeah, yeah, that's almost red wine. But <laughs> splash a bit in there. Yeah, I don't. It's, think... It is plant based, so <laughs> that's true. I don't get the colours right on the, on this show at all. So um, let me give that a go. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's very nice. Not quite the same as what you're drinking, but but very nice all the same. And I think I could probably drink these every week. So um, so what was what was that called again, Robert? That was called Petite Syrah. Oh, I mean, it's not really a special name for that one, but um, nonetheless. Well, this is like no Petite Syrah I've ever had. I can tell you that for nothing. Yeah. Mm. As I take another sip. Uh, very nice. Thank you, Robert. And um, this uh, Petite Syrah, um, and, 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 a, and a wonderful conversation I imagine to be had, but where would we be drinking these? I, you know, I'll tell you, I've, you know, as we, as we talked about last week, I've been longing to travel and go places and, yes. and, 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 a, and, and a thing came up in my, uh, email this week, um, of a place that I, I mean, I so want to go. We've talked about this, this, this country before, mm-hmm. uh, but we have not talked about this place and you've actually been there. I have not, um, which is, uh, New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, the, the place that came up was a place called South Island, New Zealand. Uh, um, yeah. and it just looks, I mean, it, you know, it's got that Lord of the Rings kind of look, yeah. but, but it's just absolutely spectacular. And yeah. I've never been there and I long to go there. Yeah. So I think, you know, in the, in the spirit of we can go anywhere on the planet with yeah. these little 
um, drinks, this is where we would have to go with this wonderful bottle of wine. That sounds wonderful. But the the weird thing for us, um, after you've talked about um, snow and the festivities, is I wonder what it's like celebrating Christmas in the summer. Or the holidays, yeah. I should say, for our Yeah, I, you know, I mean, well, we get it, of, you know, so so here yeah. um, in Southern California, of course, you know, I have grown used to Christmases mm. that are, you know, True. in the, you know, well, in Fahrenheit anyway, between the, anywhere between 75 and 85 degrees. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, it, it, it feels a bit like summer here sometimes yeah. at Christmas. But truly, yes, as we would be there, it would be the middle yeah. of summer in yeah. in, um, in, uh, in South Island. Yeah. Well, let's face it. If you were getting those temperatures in December, that is summer for us here. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Right. You know, that's might, the, the, uh, the middle of August there. <laughs> yeah. It might, and and uh, it might not be raining and then we'd all get we'd all get burned <laughs> yes exactly i'm um, obviously talking to you from the uk for listeners that don't know all right so um th- this sounds this sounds absolutely idyllic so we're we're um, we're coming to the holidays in in beautiful south island new zealand um what well once we've uh, exchanged some wonderful gifts and some beautiful bottles of red wine what would we be discussing well, I've been, you know, what I've been thinking of of late is, um, as you've heard me talk about uh, a couple of weeks ago on a, and, and at my content marketing world um, keynote, I I became fascinated in this with this study book white paper that a guy by the name of James Heskett wrote um, called the Service Profit Chain. Um, and if anybody wants to know more about it, just Google service profit chain and you'll come up with a bunch of links and especially a Harvard business review article that talks it through. Um, and it's just such an amazing, wonderful model for customer service. And we've taken it and and sort of applied it to a marketing top of the journey, um, model that we're, we're, we're calling the content uh, profit chain. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, how do we create fans with, um, with our, with our marketing? But it, I was reminded of it because I was thinking about, you know, this, uh, as I was thinking about traveling and, and, and that sort of thing, um, there was this time and I was actually coming back from London. Mm-hmm. Um, and, when I was coming back, the the captain of the plane was walking up and down the aisle. And as he was walking up and down the aisle, he was sort of having a very relevant and personal conversation with, with everybody. It wasn't just sort of like, welcome, 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 you know, like you would expect. It was sort of, he stopped it. You know, there was one lady that was, you know, quite nervous and he was talking with her and reassuring her. And then another was a child and he pulled out a little toy airplane and gave it to the kid. And, cool. and then another, you know, person was, you know, was a business guy and he was having sort of a, you know, a, a conversation about sports and, and, okay. and sort of that sort of thing. And as he passed my seat, I, I, he came by and I, I asked him, I said, you know, basically said, do you do this every flight? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, yeah, I do. And I said, why, why? I said, you know, I mean, what's the point, right? Yeah. You know, I didn't actually say it like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I said it in a much nicer way. Um, and he was lovely about it. Yeah. And he said something really interesting. And he said, well, you know, because people are going to love what we do or hate what we do based on a lot of things. He said, but, you know, we play a tiny part of that. Mm-hmm. And 
but if I'm happier, my crew is happier, we have a good time. And if we're having a good time, the passengers are having a good time. It just makes the job better. Yeah. Right? It makes it makes his job more fun. Yeah. And I thought that was a great lesson because, you know, so many, we talked a couple of weeks ago about sort of the passion and marketing and having fun and all of that. Yeah. Um, but I thought this was a really interesting thing, especially as we're approaching the holidays, which is, you know, for those that walk and work in larger companies, you know, those, that company's getting get good ratings, bad ratings. You know, you might work for a company that consistently gets bad ratings and you work your butt off, right? Mm -hmm. You work your butt off to make things good for customers. But I think one of the things that we have to remind ourselves is that we need to make things good for us too. Mm -hmm. And by making things good for us, we can create good things for our customers. Mm, that's um, and that that's absolutely right. Back to what we were discussing a couple of weeks ago um, with, uh, about the joy and, and having joy. And I think um, if, as a group of people, you're having fun, you're going to get you're going to achieve more together, aren't you? And it's also related to the partnering thing we were talking about um, last week. You know, people bond, don't they? That they're having fun. Yeah, that's right. And, and it, and it's, you know, it, and it, it, you know, going back to the Heskett thing, mm -hmm. this was what he said was, you know, critical for delivering differentiated customer experiences yeah. for customer service was that the rank and file frontline workers were happy. Yeah. And the whole chain part of the, what he called the service um, profit chain was yeah. the, you know, the chain was linking great customer service all the way back to happy employees yeah um and and basically um you know putting in the tools and the cultures and the yeah. you know effort to make employees really happy and i think one of the things that we have to remember is is that it's not just the company's responsibility to make us happy it's our responsibility true. to make us happy yeah true, true and that's especially true when we're thinking about content and marketing and yeah you know and 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 the strategies that we do you know is how can we how can we commit to not only creating great experiences for customers but how can we commit to creating great experiences that make us happy because by doing so we will enable ourselves to mm. to create those amazing experiences so it's not about just making somebody happy mm. to make yourself miserable mm. right it's it's you know it's about how do we you know how do we win and win mm. yeah and i think that um well, I mean, marketing plays a role there, doesn't it? Because um, of, obviously most of the time us marketers, we're communicating outside the four walls. But if we can make a contribution to the communication internally and appear and create this, um, I don't know, story of fun of, uh, you know, of, of who this organization are and tap into that and convey that, you, you, you change the culture of the, the business. I yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's how that's the only way culture changes is when yeah. the culture changes. You know, what I mean, yeah. I know that sounds recursive, but it's 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 true. You don't change culture by, you know, the boss coming in and putting a pinata up or, or yeah. throwing a balloon or a pizza party. Right. And saying yeah. everybody be happy. Yeah. <laughs> the way culture changes is when everybody, you know, organically becomes happy because they're they're working to be happy. Yeah. Yeah, and I think as well, at the moment, um, this has become a challenge, right? Because everybody's working remotely. I know you guys are still locked down and and we're all spending so much time on Zoom. It's incredibly difficult to create those happy, casual moments when you're all the time just in meetings. And how, how do you create that 
how do you create the fun in a Zoom? I mean, we were just talking about it as a team just today. And, um, you know, how do you create fun in a Zoom? Yeah. 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 I, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things you gotta, you gotta find it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I think it's, um, it's that classic, uh, you know, when, you know, when you, when you think about it, it's the, uh, you know, we, we often, you know, it, 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 we get wrapped around the axle of this sometimes, but, you know, we, we talk about, you know, you know, Columbus didn't discover America. He found America, you know, it's like, you know, you didn't discover that thing you found. It was always there. You ah, just found yes. it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know? And it's, it's kind of like that, right? Yeah. You know, the happiness, the joy, the, the great experiences, you don't discover those things. You yeah. sort of, you know, you, they're all, they're there. You just right. got to, you just as an individual you got to go find them right oh, that's really interesting and I, I also think it's interesting that the the analogy that you're telling is a, an airline one because that, that's the classic you know the only real stories about service from airlines are really good or really terrible right so and i think that um that's the way we think as humans don't we only comment about the really terrible or the really bad services so if we are going to create these moments we better make sure they're really good yeah exactly because <laughs> exactly. they get shared don't they and you're telling right. the story and so many people are probably telling the story of oh mate well that pilot that gave my kid this plane i mean that that just spreads doesn't it right well it is you know it is you know it is those frontline workers right i mean and even yeah. more these days for you know it used to be frontline workers had sort of front and center attention of customers mm-hmm. well now frontline workers have the attention of audiences and leads and yeah. opportunities as well right you know yeah. we're we're all creating social media we're all creating content on the web we're all creating you know these experiences that you know that these content marketing experiences that are in many ways driven by our own yeah. um you know user quote unquote generated content from our um you know from our employees yeah and all of that counts. Um, and you know, so, you know, the last thing you want is some sales guy, you know, completely botching something by, you know, by posting something to their social media account or, you know, and you know, it's, of course those things aren't if they're when, right. But having a culture that actually helps facilitate that is, is what's critical. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, don't go, cause you're going to have a huge audience if you, if you break somebody's guitar just to keep flogging yeah, the well, right. airline analogy there. So, yeah. Right. I mean, you right. That's a blast find, from the past. Yeah. <laughs> you, you will definitely find your audience then. Yeah, <laughs> you will definitely find your audience. <laughs> That's <laughs> true, actually. If you want to find your audience, go do something really stupid. <laughs> yeah, you will find your audience. <laughs> so with the um so you, you at the beginning of this you said that it was something that you talked about in your keynote is it something i mean i'd obviously include the the a link to the show notes to um the surface uh, sorry service um profit chain but what's the um is there somewhere where you've written about it that i can refer to in the show notes oh sure yeah if you look at my keynote from content marketing world and really just a lot of the stuff i've been talking about these days has yeah. been you know, I just did a I just did a keynote for one of the digital summit events here where I talked about this, and yeah. um, there's there's a lot on our blog these days around this idea. I like, and also I wanted to pick up. With, I mean, we've run out of time, but I wanted to pick up on this idea of of the of the content um, profit chain. I think I think that is that that sounds to me like the title of a book, <laughs> right there, right? So I think. That's yeah, well, I would you know I would take it, except the the, the fact that it's. Uh, 
you know, it's I I, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to step on Haskett's toes there. <laughs> well, you're very considerate. So, um, so we've talked about um your blog there, so the, the uh, that's on contentadvisory.net. I'm now doing your promotion for you. Um, but when we when we dial, when we spin the dial on the interwebs and we look into webs and we're looking for you on social media, where would we find you? You know, contentadvisory.net is great. Is the, is, it's, it's my little center of the universe these days. And, um, and you know, um, I would say it's a, it's a great place to start. And then, of course, on the social media, I'm Robert underscore Rose on the Twitter. Mm-hmm. And LinkedIn, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm but a search away. As but a search away. Absolutely. And if, you, if search is too tough, I will put that in the show notes and all the links will be there. So thank you very much, Robert. And as I ask you every week, will I see you next week in the bar? I have a strong feeling the answer <laughs> to that is only moving the magic eight ball here. Yes. <laughs> I look forward to it. Cheers, Robert. Thank you, Robert. I will, of course, include a link to the paper that Robert referred to, Putting the Service Profit Chain to Work by James L. Heskett, in the show notes, along with all the links to Robert and his work. So that's a wrap on episode 41 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again to Christine for sharing her insights, to Piet for the wonderful conversation, and of course to Robert for propping up our virtual Rockstar CMO bar. If you like my guests, please give them a mention, click their links, follow them, take a look at their work. I really appreciate their time. I will, of course, include all their links in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I would love to know what you think. Drop us some feedback, a review, subscribe, share, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, it's a special Christmas present for me as I'll be chatting to our resident rock star, CMO, Ted Rubin. I'm looking forward to that, uh, although slightly nervously about recording it. And you heard the man. It'll be my pleasure to welcome Robert Rose back to the Rockstar CMO virtual club. Until then, enjoy the holidays. I've been your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of rockstarcmo.com, and I hope you'll join us again next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.